welcome to the Ohio State University Summer Quarter Commencement, held Sunday, August 24, 2008, at the Jerome Schottenstein Center. 1,299 graduates received their diplomas. This quarter's commencement speaker is David L. Dingler, Distinguished University Professor at the Ohio State University. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome one and all to the 385th commencement of THE Ohio State University. We are pleased to have you as honored guests as this university bestows academic degrees upon today's graduates. You see before me in the, in the graduates, behind me, in these faculty, around me, in this staff, the reasons why the Ohio State University is such a remarkable institution. Ohio State is the nation's most comprehensive university. We have more of everything, academic programs, students, even parking spaces, though seemingly never at the right place at the right time, I will admit. We even have more commencements than most universities. We do this four times a year. And you chose summer. Well, um, maybe you did not choose it. Uh, some in this class are teachers who have a great answer to that question. What I did on my summer vacation? They completed another degree. Some graduates spent the spring off campus with internships or studying abroad and wrapped up loose ends this quarter. All of you spent this summer in class in the lab in front of a computer. While friends were hitting the beaches, these graduates were hitting the books. And for that, we applaud your achievements today. During your time here, you have used Ohio State's breadth to great advantage. From accounting and art history to Western European studies and zoology, you have sampled disciplines that will inform and enhance your life experiences. Your Ohio State education is both relevant and powerful. You have acquired new tools that enable action and generate change. You are ready to lead, and I know very well ready to serve, and we need you now more than ever. As you face global tasks, recall your struggles and successes here. You will be undaunted by the scale of those new responsibilities and undeterred in your determination to find solutions. On the campus, you have met the world in the curriculum and as classmates, faculty, and friends. The world is here in this arena today. In this one ceremony, we welcome families and graduates from all corners of the globe. In this one ceremony, all degrees are awarded, all colleges and disciplines. In this one ceremony, we celebrate one extraordinary university. This is a family occasion for parents and grandparents, spouses and partners, children and friends. It is a milestone worthy of a grand party. All of you are also part of the Ohio State family, connected to this university, not simply by a diploma, but by a very special scarlet and gray bond. We were brought together by opportunity and are joined by a great spirit. As I have been reminded so dearly, the Ohio State family will hold you in its embrace. 
you never really leave Ohio State, nor does it leave you. And as a family, we will get together on special occasions, a concert, an athletic event, an art exhibition, perhaps at another commencement ceremony for your next degree. We will always welcome you back. Like your family, we have high expectations for you. We take pride in your accomplishments, and we look forward to celebrating the many good things you will continue to do in the world. Wherever you go, whatever you do, remember this, Ohio State is now part of you. And as it is said, time and change will surely show how firm our friendship, Ohio. So I congratulate each and every one of you on these remarkable achievements. Our speaker today is an Ohio State professor who is respected by his scientific peers for his contributions to knowledge, admired by his colleagues for his productivity and passion, and loved by his students for his wit and wisdom. A distinguished university professor of entomology, David Denlinger, is, yes, a bug guy. Many of us remember collecting bugs as kids, butterflies and moths, lightning bugs in a jar. Uh, but most of us outgrew that, I might note, David. Uh, our speaker has turned that common childhood experience into a lifetime of exploration. Dr. Danlinger is a world-renowned expert on insect physiology, and his work affects all of us. His research is contributing to the eventual control of diseases spread by insects, including West Nile virus and African sleeping sickness. The excellence of his work has earned him election to the National Academy of Sciences, one of the highest honors for an American scientist. When you wonder what one person can do in the face of nearly overwhelming global problems, consider the example of David Dellinger's academic career. He is a big picture thinker, examining global issues of health and the environment by studying very small organisms at the molecular level. His work defines the word scholar. His great spirit enriches our university. Ladies and gentlemen, I am honored to introduce to you our university distinguished professor, David Dellinger. President Gee, members of the Board of Trustees, thank you for this opportunity to participate in this celebration today. Graduates, I congratulate you on a job well done. And thank you, parents and friends, for standing by these graduates. Without such support, I suspect this celebration may not be happening. Graduates, I hope you will take a moment today to thank those people who love you dearly and who have supported you during your days here at Ohio State, both the good times as well as the rough spots. I'm sure you can count on these same people to continue rooting for you as you venture forth. Well, no one would be more surprised to see me here today than my old high school guidance counselor who, after giving me an aptitude test, declared that I should be a cowboy. It was that confident look in his face that said I got him pegged that I still remember to this day. Actually, he may have been right. I do like singing cowboy songs around the campfire, and I've been chasing critters across the savannas of East Africa and into the rainforest of Panama and across the ice fields of Antarctica for many years. But the critters I've been chasing have six legs, and they're much smaller than those bovines I grew up chasing around our family farm. Now, it isn't that I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. I 
It's just that uh, being an entomologist wasn't on that, one of those options on the aptitude test. In fact, I knew very well what I wanted to be, and that's why my first thank you goes to the land-grant universities. I grew up, as President Gee uh, implied, as a gung-ho kid bug collector, and I realize most of you uh, do indeed outgrow that. Uh, I grew up at a farm in eastern Pennsylvania. My family lived in that area ever since William Penn's son Thomas uh, went up and down the uh, Rhine River Valley recruiting my ancestors to uh, this new place called Penn's Woods. And quite frankly, that was a rather sheltered community. I knew of few career options beyond farming. And that's where the land-grant universities came into play. The eureka moment for me came long before my college days when a Penn State entomology professor, Dr. John Pepper, visited our Lancaster County 4-H club to talk about insects and answer questions from those of us who were taking entomology projects. He supplied us with insect pins and shared tips on how to find some of those really cool bugs. And, but before this uh, fortuitous encounter, I had no idea that someone could make a living doing what I assumed was just fun. From that moment, I, I knew what I wanted to be. For simply opening my eyes to such new possibilities, I feel an enormous debt of gratitude to the land-grant universities. So I extend my thanks to these universities, like Ohio State, for taking their mission of outreach seriously and for helping me to discover a rewarding career at an early age. I suspect that this great university has provided a similar launching pad for many of you. Although you may not have identified a career goal at such an early age, it is my hope that all of you have been able to identify your passion, whatever it may be. Follow that passion. I can think of no easier route for success. My second thank you goes to my students, many of whom are here today. Contrary to what you may have assumed, this is not a one-way street. I suspect that I've learned as much from you as you have from me. You've shown me a whole new level of multitasking. You can listen to lectures and text messages at the same time, and you don't just waste your time going from class to class. You productively spend that time in your cell phone. But in a more serious note, you have pushed me to take our research to new levels. While I was quite content to ask questions at the organismal level, you pushed me to dig deeper and go after those underlying genes that insects use to measure the length of the day and make preparations for winter. Thanks to that prodding, today we're looking at thousands of genes simultaneously, trying to figure out that network of genes that dictate how insects shut down their development for the winter and then start up again in the spring. The successes we've enjoyed are shared successes. You have also introduced me to the world. Names of my students, postdocs, and collaborators stretch from A to Z. Adedokan from Nigeria to Zdarek from the Czech Republic. From names as short as Xu, XU from China, 
to names as long as Mantri Samarana Yakavramaswamy from Sri Lanka. You taught me that the sons and daughters of Ohio, China, Korea, Nigeria, Iran, Poland, and the United Kingdom can all work together effectively to solve problems. For that, I thank you. But my next thanks is reserved for the little creatures I study. I, of course, couldn't resist bringing one along today. I hope he's still here. <laughs> this is indeed probably the first and the last bug to make an appearance at Ohio State graduation. Sorry, this walking stick's a little small for many of you to see, but perhaps those of you at least in the front row can, uh, can see her. I stand in awe of this creature. This graceful insect can walk, run, see, smell, hear, taste, feel, learn, and as I just learned, bite, and do almost anything we can do. <laughs> we can learn much about ourselves from a creature such as this if we take the time to listen. The fruit fly has already taught us the secrets of our own genes. It was indeed fruit fly genetics and the sequencing of the genome that paved the way for the Human Genome Project. Many of the genes known today in humans were first found in that lowly fly. And with a bit of ingenuity, it is possible to develop insect models to probe a range of insect, of human maladies, sorry about that, including obesity, alcoholism, and sleeplessness. Insects, of course, have gotten a bad rap. Most are our friends, but indeed a few are our worst enemies. We in America have become a bit complacent because we have succeeded in ridding our country of many scourges of earlier years. Typhoid fever, a flyborne disease that killed nearly as many combatants as did bullets during the Civil War, has been laid to rest. Epidemics of yellow fever were once frequent in our port cities of Philadelphia, Baltimore, Charleston, and New Orleans. The physician Benjamin Rush suspected rotting cotton dumped off, or rotting coffee beans uh, dumped off the wharf as the cause of the 1793 epidemic in Philadelphia. More than 100 years went by until that disease was finally linked to mosquitoes. Much of northwestern Ohio was once malaria-ridden, but few people living today appreciate Ohio's history of malaria. Yet that mosquito-transmitted disease continues to wreak havoc across Africa, Asia, and South America, killing over a million people annually, most of them children. One of my own interests in tropical medicine is the setsi, a fly that carries human sleeping sickness in Nagana, the animal form of the disease. Up to 70,000 people in sub-Saharan Africa are infected with this lethal disease, and setsi continues to render a chunk of Africa roughly the size of Europe unsuitable for raising great cattle. But these are not just diseases in and insects in faraway places. This new flat world, as Thomas Friedman calls, this, calls it, brings us into regular contact with products from around the world, and these products bring way too many pest species along for the ride. 
Several years ago, the Asian tiger mosquito hitchhiked into Houston on a shipload of used tires from Japan. I'm not entirely sure why we need to import used tires from Japan, but such is the global economy. Following its arrival in Texas, this mosquito has progressively spread north and arrived in Columbus just this summer. It's a vicious biter. Many of you have already perhaps donated a blood meal. But the worst scary part of this story is that this mosquito has the capacity to transmit dengue, a debilitating disease also known as breakbone fever because of the severe muscle and joint uh, pain that goes along with the disease. Fortunately, the virus that causes dengue did not come along for the ride. But since the mosquito vector is here, the stage is set for transmission of dengue if the virus were to be introduced. Hopefully this will not happen, but you can appreciate why it is absolutely essential that we continue to be on guard and monitor this situation carefully. I'm sure you're already well aware of many other pest species that have entered this country. The emerald ash borer is only the most recent, but it joins others such as the Asian longhorn beetle, the Japanese beetle, the gypsy moth, and other invertebrates with, uh, such as the zebra mussel that were dumped into the Great Lakes along with ballast from a Russian tanker about 20 years ago, and exotic plants such as garlic mustard and honeysuckle that are choking out our native plants. Lest you think we are only the recipients, let me assure you that we give as well as we receive. Our Colorado potato beetle has devastated the potato fields of Europe. The costs of these sorts of mistakes are enormous. How do you even put a price tag on the destruction generated by the emerald ash borer as it completely alters the composition of our eastern forests? Such disasters ripple across the ecosystem, destroying the habitats of our native plants, our insects, birds, and mammals. The huge increase in world trade dramatically boosts the frequency of such invasions, forcing us to step up our ability to prevent and intercept such accidental introductions. But rather than dwell on these few bad insects, let me assure you that most insects are indeed our friends. Our world could not function without them. Without pollination services from bees and other insects, we would be without apples, avocados, almonds, blueberries, cherries, cantaloupes, cucumbers, cranberries, and lots of other crops. That only takes me up to see. Industries worth $15 billion to our country's economy. The recent colony collapse disease that has stricken honeybees reminds us how vulnerable we are and how essential it is to promote the health of our insect friends. Insects have also taught us valuable lessons. Let me cite just a couple lessons generated by work from colleagues in my own department. Walter Rothenbuehler, for whom our honeybee lab is named, was the first person to demonstrate in any animal system a genetic basis for behavior. This classic study on honeybees launched the exciting new field of behavioral genetics. Another one of our giants, Professor Fred Hink, was the first to demonstrate immune responses in insects. His work eleg elegantly laid the foundation for pharmaceutical prospecting in insects that search for new antibiotics, antiviral, and antifungal agents that may be useful for human health. At the present time, as you know, we rely primarily on drugs that have been discovered in plants and thus can be harvested in abundance. 
But with the advent of molecular biology, we can now search for such products in insects. Insects are pharmacological warehouses replete with all sorts of defensive chemicals that can ward off infection, rich resources that we can look forward to tapping in this new century. At the time of his retirement, Professor Hink was hot in the trail of an antiarthritic compound present in the venom of a South American ant, a remedy already well known to the indigenous people of Colombia. My challenge to you is to think small. As Harvard entomologist uh, E.O. Wilson says, it's already the little things that run the world. Give insects the respect they deserve, enjoy them, learn from them, and continue to fill Ohio Stadium with your cry, Go Bugs! That, that is what you're saying, isn't it? <laughs> Sorry, I, I know I shouldn't mess with something so sacred. <laughs> In closing, uh, let me say that as I look out over this audience of graduates, I'm impressed with what you have already achieved. But this is just the beginning. You have learned how to think, how to raise questions, and how to seek answers. Armed with these tools, you have a bright future, and our world desperately needs what you can offer. I must say I am not proud of some of the things that have happened during my generation's watch. In many ways, it feels like we have taken some turns in the wrong direction. But I am hopeful in turning the reins over to you. I sense that you are already pushing toward a higher plane and a new ethos. An ethos that goes beyond nationalism and embraces world citizenship. An ethos that cherishes the earth and all its inhabitants from the tiniest of insects to the human family, an ethos that seeks social justice for all of man, humankind, and an ethos that beats those swords into plowshares and seeks ways for humans to live together in a shared peace and prosperity. This is a huge assignment, but I do think it's within your grasp. Work hard at creating a wonderful future for all of the earth and the creatures that dwell therein. You go with my very best wishes for a meaningful and fulfilled life. And fi finally, thank you for being such an important part of my life. Godspeed. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is indeed a glorious day in the life of the university and a significant milestone for you, our graduates. You've worked tirelessly for years with this goal in mind. Family and friends have sacrificed much to support you. You have honed your skills and improved your performance every day. I think that is exactly how Michael Phelps did it. Today, you are champions. You are medal winners in a graduating class that is as international as the Olympic parade. From Bucharest to Beirut, Buenos Aires to Beijing, the world comes to Ohio State. And from Seoul, South Korea, Do Kun An came to Ohio State to earn a PhD in astronomy. His work has been out of the world, literally. His focus is on accurately determining distances to stars in and beyond our galaxy. Dr. An is leaving right after the ceremony for NASA's Infrared Processing and Analysis Center at Caltech, 
where he will join the lab of another Ohio State astronomy PhD. Jeetnet Yimmer came to the United States from Ethiopia where his family members are living in refugee camps. Today he will receive a bachelor's degree in electrical engineering. Faculty in his department say that he is an example of intrepid human spirit. He plans to enroll in graduate school and build a career that will permit him to bring his family to America and to a life without fear. Ladies and gentlemen, I often say that this is the University of the American Dream. But Mr. Yimmer's story reminds us of the universality of that dream. For the opportunities you gain as educated women and men, we celebrate this great institution. Many in this class have incorporated international experiences into their education. They have studied, consulted, worked, and volunteered around the globe. Devin Mullings has just returned from Beijing where he competed in the tennis doubles competition for the Bahamas. Devin was a standout player for the Buckeyes and he graduates today with a degree in communications. Ivan Harris came to this ceremony by way of Finland. He ended his Ohio State basketball career with an NCAA Final Four appearance in 2007. Ivan has been playing professional basketball in Finland. He is one of several Ohio State athletes who returned to complete their undergraduate degrees this summer. This university is further enriched by the diversity of the state of Ohio. From the lake to the river, from field to factory, from the classroom to the operating room, this university and our alumni are making a difference in the lives of all Ohioans. Since returning last fall, I made it my goal to revisit all 88 counties in Ohio. Before fall quarter begins, I will have completed my circuit. My travels have been both enlightening and entertaining. I visited a miniature donkey farm in Coshocton, the hometown of agricultural graduate Mark Fitch. The farm owners named a baby donkey Gordon. <laughs> One of the more unusual honors I have received, I might know. Today, Tiffin, Ohio is proud of two things. Fisher College of Business graduate Carrie Hoida and Ballwright potato chips. I did not just visit the potato chip plant, they put me to work on the assembly line. My travels include frequent visits to the Ohio State House where Anne Lucan Hall has spent a significant portion of her professional career. She is graduating today with a degree in communication. Annie first enrolled at Ohio State in 1971. Her more than 35-year detour included a successful corporate career, serving on volunteer boards and raising two wonderful children. I know that others in this class have traveled that route of multitasking and interrupted education. So congratulations to Annie and to each of you for your persistent pursuit of a degree. In my Buckeye Travel Odyssey, I hosted a party for 250 students and parents at Tony Paco's restaurant in Toledo, famous for their hot dogs. I visited a 4-H camp in Ashtabula, home of Alexandra Gress, who is receiving a Bachelor of Science degree in Agriculture. Nicole Charles, a human ecology graduate from Sandusky, will tell you that most people who come to her, her hometown visit Cedar Point. And I did also, but I did not write those damn roller coasters, I can tell you that much. <laughs> Scared the heck out of me. I found Ohio State at a tree farm in Magnolia, a pizza shop in West Union, and an ice cream factory in Utica. I see Ohio State across this country and around the world. We are a global institution, the land-grant university to the world. Wherever you go, you will find Ohio State. Graduates, as you begin again your journey, I do not wish you farewell, but I wish that you will fare well. 
So I send you forth with a few words of advice, which is always the uh, privilege of a university president. First, be a citizen of the world. Remember to say thank you. Support the arts. Be in the audience and sometimes get on stage. Put away your guitar hero and be a hero in someone's life. Remember to RSVP. Move away from the keyboard and get your hands on life. Keep reading and challenging your mind. Dance more. Let me say that again, dance more. I love to dance. Dance more. Think before hitting send. Never wear Crocs to a job interview. Have fun and do not take yourself too serious, seriously. And always, 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 always remember your alma mater. We will not forget you. So ladies and gentlemen, I thank you and all here today for giving me the honor to again be part of this most remarkable university. I offer you my personal congratulations, my admiration and affection, my respect, and my very best wishes. And I say to every one of you, God speed you on your remarkable journey. So I thank you for being here today.